You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Well, Gaudete, just this past Sunday, we are into, we are well into Advent, close to closing in on Christmas, the Nativity of our Lord. That means lots of family traditions either happening now or in the, the next coming weeks as we prepare to celebrate that time of year, celebrate the Nativity of our Lord, Christmas, and lots of family traditions. One of our favorites, watching Christmas movies. We started making some Christmas cookies this week and watching a, a few movies and and uh, snuggling down with a, a cup of hot cocoa and and enjoying some some family time around a movie and and games and things like that. Well, do you have a favorite Christmas movie? Do you have a movie that you have? Uh, well, ever wondered what that means or or how could we could we turn this into a family discussion or could this be a conversation could this movie lead to a a, a meaningful conversation oh anywhere with perhaps with someone who who doesn't know that good news of Jesus yet I always love talking about movies with Dr. Michael Eschelbach of Concordia University Irvine we're going to do that today we're going to take a look at a 1994 film the Santa Claus. Hope you can stick around for our conversation with Dr. Eschelbach. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting faith and family. Find out more about them on our website, kfuo.org. Look for the CUW logo. Joining us from CUI, Concordia University, Irvine, Dr. Michael Eschelbach, professor of New Testament there at Concordia University, Irvine. Dr. Eschelbach, welcome back to Faith and Family. Thanks. It's great always to be back. Glad to have you with us this morning and always love talking about movies. Uh, I think the last one we reviewed was uh, Risen this past year. And, and uh, well, it's it's nearly Christmas time to take a look at a Christmas movie. And this one's been around for a little while. How are things at Concordia, Irvine? How are things in uh, in New Testament classes for you there? Things in New Testament are great because the message never changes, and it's always what everybody needs to hear. <laughs> That's great. They do, you don't ever have to change the message <laughs> because it's the same. It's the Word of God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yeah, Thanks be to God. Yeah, the truth. Um, you know, people that teach the truth, whether it's historians or theologians or philosophers, our work is a little different than other fields because we're we're not trying to figure out new stuff or discover what hasn't been discovered. We're trying to to uh, you know carry forward what has been true and is always true, and that our lives always depend on. And uh, things at, at Irvine students are winding down with final exams, I assume, over the, the next few weeks? Yeah, actually, I think they're winding up to final exams. <laughs> <laughs> That's per- perhaps a more appropriate way to describe it, yes. <laughs> yeah. So you'll have uh, lots of exams to review and to, uh, to, to grade here very soon. Uh, lots of things starting today and uh, most <laughs> days this week, yeah? Well, you are so gracious to accept my invitation and be my guest today uh, as uh, final exams are, are picking up there at Concordia Irvine. We are looking at The Santa Claus. Uh, this is a film from 1994 with Tim Allen, but has kind of become a classic for some, uh, for many. Why did you choose The Santa Claus when we uh, started talking about a, what Christmas movie we wanted to discuss today? Yeah, um, good question. I think it has a lot to do with um, uh, part of New Testament that I teach often on, by itself as a class, which is the parables. And so uh, all, all things and all movies are parabolic in some way, but the Santa Claus, of course, is more obviously a parable kind of in two stages. First, because um, Tim Allen is 
in in his uh, life in the movie as a toy maker, sort of a contrast with the real Santa Claus. And then, they, of course, they have that play on words. But then, Santa Claus, in you know, in theory, is in some ways directing us to think back behind that to the real giver at Christmas and the real gift at Christmas. So, when did you first? Do you remember when you first saw this film? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw it as soon as it came out, um, partly because of the title and partly because in our younger days when movies were less expensive and a bigger deal at the theater, um, you know, that's before we all had giant giant flat screens, which I still don't have one of. But, um, yeah, it was fun to go see a new movie um, at the theater, and I'm sure that's why we did. You know, you bring up a good point. I was just thinking about this yesterday when I was watching a movie. It might have been this movie uh, that I was watching at home this week. And something about the the music uh, that came on at the beginning and reminded me of when it was a special occasion to sit down and watch a movie. They weren't so readily accessible as they are today. I mean, with, you know, electronic access uh, via the Internet, access to virtually any movie that's that, that's available that's not new in theaters right now but uh, it, it was just i don't know it was a special occasion to watch a movie whether you you rented it from the on on VHS from the the little <laughs> uh, movie shop down the the street or uh, went to the movie theater to see it movies were kind of a, a big special experience and now they're they're almost a commonplace almost a, a daily thing or available uh, you know, with a click of a few buttons. Yeah, in fact, um, it's not that infrequent that uh, between classes when students come early, they'll be watching movies or parts of movies on their phones <laughs> in between in between classes. <laughs> Do you think that has changed how how movies impact us as a culture and as a society? Yeah, very much so. I think it, it's it's like a lot of other things. We're living in a deluge or a flood of of uh, commerce, and that's what movies have become too. Not so much about um, you know raising ideals and uh, inspiring people to higher things. I think which had a lot to do with early uh, entertainment and the kinds of both television programming and movies that were produced. Uh, and I and I was thinking actually. Uh, in contrast to the Santa Claus and Tim Allen's character at the beginning, um, the early Disney uh, babes in Toyland, where the toy maker, you know, loves children and, and he loves the the invention of toys that inspire their imagination and that sort of thing. Um, those were the early days, and now, like everything, you know, media is business, and so the the more you can crank out and the more uh, easily you can deliver it to the consumer, uh, the better. And so even, like you mentioned, virtually any movie available, if you're willing to uh, pay for it, to stream, and of course, you, you know, they have the means of, you can have your credit information, credit card already in there, so just keep clicking and anything you want comes uh, through your phone. It is amazing how readily accessible it is today. I wouldn't have even imagined this, you know, 15 20 years ago that uh, yeah. that we could watch movies so accessibly. Right. So, it, well, about the time that this movie came out, 1994, back in well this was would have been the the glory days of Tim Allen too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. In fact, yeah, I remember when our my first children were young, 
little. We we not only rented the movie, we rented the player from the <laughs> video shop because we didn't own one. <laughs> I remember those days that you could you could rent uh, a VHS player yeah. to uh, to play a movie, and then DVD came along and. Changed right. everything. We tried with those laser discs for a while, but that didn't yeah. seem to pick up very well. Yeah, then of course they really blow our kids' minds when we talk about when I was a kid, and uh, you know there was television, no movies on television <laughs> unless they were like Tarzan from 1920 or yeah. something. You know? <laughs> yeah, broadcast TV was a little bit different then yeah. too. Yeah, very absolutely. Much so. mm-hmm. Well, the uh, the the story here, the Santa Claus story, for our listeners not familiar, and 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 we should just give a a, a disclaimer at the beginning of this that uh, there will be spoilers throughout the the whole conversation <laughs> if you haven't seen it. it Come on, it came out in 1994. If you haven't seen it yet, that's okay, but uh, don't be sad if we spoil it for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, and this is the culture that that sees movies like innumerable times, so it's not like knowing what's going to happen bothers this culture. This is true. There are some movies that just uh, perhaps we, we run and, and watch or listen to passively in our household, uh, right. especially around this time of year. Christmas with the Cranks is one of them that comes up frequently in our household. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I remember people going to see the movie Titanic, and we all knew what was going to happen. <laughs> Don't tell me how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> so this this idea of uh well what's the the the, the main the, the story here what's the the plot of yeah. the santa claus right so of course e. <laughs> as in our contemporary culture it you know the story revolves around um a, a man tim allen who um is his name of course is not an accident um scott calvin and SC, so his initials are the same as Santa Claus. And he, uh, what I was getting at with the of course, is two things. One is he's all about success in the business world, which is um, measured by income and profit margins and that kind of thing, marketing success. And the other side is that he's a loser on the parent side of the equation. So he's divorced and he's late getting home to meet his ex-wife who's dropping off Charlie for the weekend, and he ruins the Christmas dinner, and he ends up at Denny's with all the other loser, whole Denny's full of loser, <laughs> divorced dads. Um, and then sort of the that night, Santa, of course, arrives at the household for Charlie's sake, and Charlie wonders what's going on, and there's a little accident, and Santa comes off the roof, and... and uh, perishes, so to speak, and then Tim Allen reads the card and looks at the suit, and then, so the, the long story shorter is that over over the course of that Christmas and the following year, Tim Allen becomes the the genuine Santa Claus, and the, so the story is about his redemption, which every good story is about, from from who he was as poor father and and a businessman all about the money to a reversal to where he's not about the money. He's about uh, doing good, and he becomes a great father in the sense of being Father Christmas. But the lesson is learned reluctantly. Uh, very reluctantly, especially at first, which is good. Um, and that's how parables were meant to work also, is they sort of draw you in in terms of a, of a sympathy, like, really, how how easy is it? 
to do something with uh, with human nature such as it is and it's not easy he so in the beginning of the film uh he his son he he has visitation rights his son is with him on uh holidays apparently some holidays and and but not uh full time he doesn't have full custody of his son his son is uh how old is charlie he's what like 8 i think yeah eight something nine, like there. that right yeah and uh oh. The, the as you said the the Christmas dinner is ruined. He sets fire to the turkey. <laughs> yeah, in the in the proper Tim Allen fashion, and involving fire extinguishers, and you know, there's some little throwback to his tool time yes. role there. <laughs> so uh, he he uses a fire extinguisher to put out the uh, the burnt turkey, and uh, they end up as you pointed out in Denny's uh, with uh, many other fathers in similar circumstances. <laughs> looking around the room and they're out of uh just about everything on the menu that uh that he goes to order that the that his son charlie goes to order uh but they end up having their their dinner they get back home and where does the what happens from there that uh that leads to this whole um encounter with the real santa claus right so this is where you have the contrast that's a very biblical in nature between the unbelieving adult and the and the um, very much believing and hoping uh, child. So Jesus' reference, unless you repent and become as a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Or even Jesus with Nicodemus, unless you uh, are born, not born actually, in Greek, generated, regenerated from above, you can't see or enter the kingdom of heaven. So so as is true with children, um, very much hopeful, looking for, wishing for, hoping there's a way for things to be better, which connects him with the idea that there is a being out there named, uh, you know, St. Nicholas, who brings things that, in, at least in some small way, make our life better. So there's not much Charlie can do about the way his father is or having to spend certain holidays with him when he, I think he gets the sense that his father would like to be someplace else. But, you know, Tim Allen is tired and he wants to go to bed and wish Charlie would knock it off with all this uh, Santa Claus talk and just go to sleep. Um, you know, Tim's sort of, you know, pro forma doing the right thing and reading Charlie the Christmas story, um, which includes, you know, the, the reindeer names and that whole business about coming on the roof and so forth, but he just wants Charlie to go to sleep and let him go to sleep, <laughs> which is, I think resonates with a lot of parents, not just on that night, but lots of nights, <laughs> just go to sleep already. And, uh, and that, that's going to be revisited in the movie where, um, the little elf girl, um, talks about uh, human beings growing out of Christmas, which is parallels with what the Bible talks about human nature being contrary to truth and and uh, faith and honesty about our dependence on God and human nature grows us away from those things which are true and inspiring and hopeful like the resurrection of Jesus from the dead or his own incarnation so so that gets it rolling so finally everybody's in bed and it's quiet and then there's the clatter on the roof and the noise and the, the investigation of what that is and Tim Allen's disbelief and rubbing of his eyes and <laughs> and and actually I think it was something Tim did that startled Santa which made him slide off the roof and 
and fall. Yeah, I think he just yells to him. He sees him on the roof. He yeah. yells to him, and uh, <laughs> Santa looks up and loses his footing, <laughs> slides down the roof, and lands in the front yard of the uh, the townhouse. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> and then, t- of course, Tim's reaction, of course, was, uh, "I've got insurance, and I've got a good lawyer, and and." Um, I think he makes a comment about, but not as good a lawyer as his ex-wife, which yes. he makes in other movies where he's divorced. <laughs> That's a theme with him. <laughs> his ex-wife always has a better lawyer. <laughs> and, and all this while he's, you know, granted, he, he uh, ran out of bed to, to, well, to see what was the matter. Uh, right. And uh, he wasn't in his cap. He, he was in his coat and his boxers out on the front lawn uh, yeah. investigating all of this. And... Yeah. Uh, and where does it go from there? He he he's trying to help out this guy or figure out what's going on with this this man in a red suit laying in the snow in his front yard. Yeah, yeah. So actually, then there's a nice little moment where um, Tim Allen's thinking about this, and and there's a picture of Santa, the the now perishing Santa's hand waving like goodbye, it's, I'm out, and then um, then Charlie's insistence that his father must take up the take up the the uh, role of and and carry on with uh, Christmas and there's a that's a huge um sort of insight into um maybe humanity in general adults especially kind of rethinking what our lives are about and we kind of started the show with this that um for many of us uh, in history and philosophy and theology our our whole vocation in life is carrying forward the ideals uh, that truth set before us, virtue and life and goodness and hope and all those sorts of things. And that's, that's what's driving Charlie to say, hey, you can't leave all these people on the planet disappointed on Christmas. And you have a responsibility and, you, and actually in, you know, an opportunity. That's also how Charlie sees it. Like this isn't an imposition on your sleep or on your career. This is uh, like redemption in the best sense of the word. We have a a once in a in a lifetime opportunity to actually do something wonderful and it's for other people which is a big part of what makes it wonderful do you so think of course, oh, go ahead do you think charlie only is only thinking dad should fill in for santa tonight since santa's no longer available or do you think charlie's thinking more along the lines of my dad is going to be the new santa claus and he's going to take this on full term you know full time yeah, I think that's another uh, blessing of um, of childishness, if I can use that word. I'm going to reverse the way we think about childishness is good, but Charlie's not looking uh, that far ahead. So again, you can kind of contrast him with Jesus' disciples who are forever asking him what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And they're also always asking or discussing among themselves the idea of greatness in terms of recognition, but not in terms of service. But Charlie's very... Uh, in the moment, very much just about that day and not thinking about, I don't think that shows up until later, but not thinking about the future. We just got an opportunity and a responsibility, and let's let's go get that done. So where does, so how does, uh, how does he proceed? How does the Scott Calvin character proceed from them? How does he know what he's supposed to do next? Or how does he figure out what he does next? Doesn't he find something on the, the, uh, the, the, the suit of Santa Claus? He finds a card, doesn't he? Right. I think, right. There's a card there and he, and it says something about, um, putting on the, 
No. Is that right? No, I'm not. I should have watched it last Well, night, it says, was... if something happens to me, right. uh, you know, put on the suit, the reindeer <laughs> will know what to do. Yeah. And it, that's all it says. That's all you can see when he holds up the card. And then there's just this little red trim around it on this, you right. know, business card. What you yeah. don't see is what's revealed later on in that red trim on the right. business card. The tiny, tiny, tiny red trim. Yeah, so it is a simple, like, put on the suit and keep going, and the right, the reindeer know. And that's also a nice, you know, God's creation tends to know what to do better than we do. Jeremiah talks about, how is it that the birds of migration know what to do and my people don't know simple things? But it also it depends to the synergy with Charlie just urging him on, like, come on, and whining, and Tim Allen and his typical Grinch-like uh, you know, uh, disposition. And, and there's a little back and forth with the reindeer looking at him like, how can you not know what to do? <laughs> and how can you be so crabby about it? <laughs> but then there, you know, so, oh, there's also how it gets started um, where Tim yells to Charlie once the, he, because he's in the sleigh already, let's go as in down off the roof and back to bed and that then the reindeer take off and Tim ends up in the back seat kind of thing. So here he is off on a new adventure that all seems like a dream. Mm -hmm. He ends up at the North Pole. (laughs) He ends up in the workshop. (laughs) (laughs) Although there's there's a couple important things in between there that first night that, you know, gradually he does start coming up to speed. Like, what do you do at the next house because the bag was empty? Oh, actually, the bag's not empty. It's full again. And then what do you do at the next house where there's no chimney? Oh, well, actually, there's the the creation responds to the the endeavor and creates a chimney, and then it goes away again. And, you know, so over the course of the evening, Tim's gradually coming around, though he's still unhappy about it and still arguing with himself that this isn't real, uh, even even as he gets back to the North Pole and settles in for the night. He settles in for the night. He's he's issued his official <laughs> SC pajamas. <laughs> right. Nice pajamas. Yeah. Very, yeah. With a really nice room to stay in and hot chocolate and the whole the whole North Pole universe. That's that I think was well done too, that there's a lot going on there and there's polar bears involved and trains and just all of the wonderful things that, uh, as kids, we associated with Christmas. Yeah, it's it, you walk. Or they're walking through, and you're you're following along as just an observer and and seeing all these things that are going on there, and all the 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 elves running around in in uh, well in the North Pole, and and it's just quite a a, a complex operation. Right, and again, so like between animals and between elves, as a as a parable, there are parallels there with uh, our our tending to forget how God um, organizes all of His creation in the service of His uh, ministry in our lives. So creation itself uh, in the material universe, and then uh, the angels of God that uh, perform His will on our behalf. All these things are going on 24/7, 365 days a year that we we um, you know so often take for granted. So we get a little glimpse of that. There's a lot going on all the time, uh, all for all to make our lives uh, better. 
We need to take a quick break, Dr. Eschelbach, and then when we come back, we'll continue our conversation on the Santa Claus. We're talking about Christmas movies with Dr. Michael Eschelbach of Concordia University, Irvine. We'll be back right after this. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee, with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. The Ohio Department of Health has finally yanked the license of one of Ohio's most notorious late-term abortion mills run by Martin Haskell. He's most famous for popularizing partial birth abortion, which is killing a baby during delivery. His mill is known for botching abortions. State law requires abortion mills have a written transfer agreement with a local hospital should something go wrong, a basic safety requirement. For five straight years, the facility hasn't been able to get one, so they filed for a variance and received it until this year. This time, the state is shutting them down. I've spoken in front of this abortion mill multiple times. Faithful sidewalk counselors have offered women life-affirming alternatives at a pro-life center across the street. Hopefully, the killing will end. For more information, visit our website at lifeissues.org. And stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Have you considered making gifts to KFUO using securities? While considering your year-end contributions to KFUO, think about other ways of giving that may offer significant tax benefits, especially with higher appreciated securities. If you have questions about using securities for gifts or other possible assets, call Mary at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions about using non-cash assets for gifts to your favorite radio station. Worldwide KFUO. Does your church need help to discover its true mission? Hi, this is Rich Robertson, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. It happens to all of us. At some point in our lives, we get distracted, confused, or maybe even burned out, and eventually we lose focus. So it's nice to know at times like these that you have a partner at LCEF. Our ministry support services can help your church clarify its mission so it enjoys sustained health and growth. Learn more at www.lcef.org. Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Anya's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com.
Welcome back to Faith and Family, talking Christmas movies with our friend Dr. Michael Eschelbach, professor of New Testament at Concordia University, Irvine, looking at The Santa Claus, 1994, with Tim Allen as uh, the lead playing Scott Calvin or Santa Claus. Uh, Before we went to break, sharing a little bit of the story, recapping the story here, uh, uh, Scott Calvin, divorced dad, uh, shared custody of his son, Christmas Eve, and uh, encounters a Santa Claus figure on his roof, slides off, falls off the roof, roof, and uh, in the end, uh, the Tim Ellen character, Scott Calvin, has to jump in and, and take over the duties of Santa Claus, at least for that night, anyway, so that uh, so the kids aren't left without toys. Right. <laughs> so he heads. Uh, he ends up uh, delivering some toys that night, and then ends up at the uh, the North Pole. Winding down for the night, I think that's where we left off. He was uh, he was issued his his uh, fancy SC pajamas, <laughs> falls asleep in his bed at the North Pole. His son there too, falls asleep, uh, and then the next morning he wakes up at home. Right, right, and so that's the that's kind of where it picks up again. Where it was this all just a dream. Um, an unreality, or wasn't it? And and the interesting thing, because it starts without revealing that he still has the pajamas on, so he wakes up in his own room. So we're all supposed to believe, yeah, that's just like lots of things uh, in religion, especially Christianity. It's all just make believe. Uh, but then he stands up and he's got the pajamas on, and what do you do with that? And then he, of course, he runs outside and uh, to check to see if the evidence is still there of the of the uh, uh, ladder and the reindeer and all that still having happened, and Charlie's playing with his toys, and where did those come from? Because Tim didn't really come through that <laughs> in that way. And so that begins the next part of the, the, actually the redemptive story part of the movie, where this this war between Tim Allen's human nature, as we see it, and the generation of a new a new inner person uh, within uh-huh. him, and that's the contrast between he he has this the initials that can go either way. So we have an outer man, we have an inner man. They're both us, but which one will will prevail? Ah, I see that the the SC Scott Calvin Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. He he realizes when when he wakes up though that he's got these pajamas on from the North Pole and uh, trying to still. Tr- trying to figure out in his interactions with others was this a dream or was this not a dream and trying to explain that to others right and so you have this great this awesome parallel with with our experiences as real human beings where he's trying to do two things at once he's desperately trying to cling to the life of his own making where he's the the uh, you know executive in the corporation that's making the money and on his way in a material sense it, trying desperately to keep his place in that and yet because these uh, forces are at work in him so he's putting on weight and he's growing a beard and his hair's turning white and and all these different things that keep happening he he can't and he's you know he's lying about it. He makes up stories about why he's putting on weight, and then he's lustful. I remember when he's walking down the sidewalk, noticing he can't help it. He knows who's naughty and who's nice, and he looks at the one young lady and says, "Very nice," and she makes some, 
you know, disparaging comment toward him, but the lust is still at work, and he's still denying with his physician and with and with Charlie, and part of that's because he's got a custody issue now at work uh, over Charlie because his ex-wife and her husband, the psychiatrist, thinks he's losing his mind. So, so those his human nature trying desperately to hang on to the life that he wanted for himself and trying to deny what's happening. And yet, and this is how the gospel works. It's God at work, whether you like it or not, um, for your own life and future and well-being. So there's definitely something at work in him and changing him, whether he, whether he, he intends it to or not himself, whether he wills it himself. Exactly, and and I think the the climax of that comes when, when he's at this crux, like a cross, where he's he's got to let Charlie go. Um, he can't keep Charlie by legal means. He can't deny um, his disability as a human being, even to to have Charlie love him because because he actually never loved Charlie himself. But then that moment comes where he has to let Charlie go and die to self, and that's really when, when things change. He begins to, to shift into the person of the giving Santa Claus-type person, and that's precisely what inspires Charlie's love and devotion to him as the, the father he always wished he had. And this is also as he now has has really taken on all the full physical effects as well. His appearance has really uh, changed quite a bit, as you pointed out. He's 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 grown in in size, uh, and his beard uh, keeps growing. No matter how much he shaves, his beard keeps coming back, and his hair is white. Uh, all these physical uh, attributes that uh, that that really indicate that he is Santa Claus. Right, and and especially I think the the part of it is the scenes in the mirror, where where he just can't, right? He can't get away from what's happening. He shaves and dyes his hair, and then right away, almost immediately, it's back uh, the way it was. And so, parallels what the gospel says about God's work in us. And it reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote, you know, that he was dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of heaven. Um, but you know the the gospel accomplishes what it describes, mm-hmm. and so every Christian sort of realizes these astonishing um, changes in our lives, where we're thinking about things differently, and how's that possible? And we begin to see ourselves differently. Both, you know, as we look in the mirror of the Word, we see ourselves more honestly according to our human nature, but we also see ourselves in the truth of God's promises that we are, in fact, a whole different person and a, a wonderful person at that. And so what does that mean now for Scott Calvin? Is he still Scott, or is he solely <laughs> Santa Claus? Yeah, I think that that change finally happens, uh, I think, where where Scott visits Charlie against court orders for the last time in the in the home of his ex-wife and he's thinking that he's not going to see Charlie he's just got to let it go um, of course Charlie's thinking that Scott came for him and is going to take him to be this you know have this fun life and enjoy his dad being Santa Claus for real and then has to struggle with 
Scott saying, no, you can't come with me. And that reminds me of often uh, there's that little conversation between Jesus and Peter, you know, that um, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' conversation with the disciples, where I'm going, you can't come with me now, but you'll come with me later. I mean, the parallels are astounding in that in that conversation. And, and in those moments, too, at that visit to his home, that's where Bernard shows up and talks about what's all the boo-hooing about, and he, he kind of um, criticizes the, the stepfather's turkey cooking abilities, which is a fun moment. And is, um, but that's, there's also a moment there where Bernard gives Charlie the, the globe and parallels kind of the sacraments and the word where, you know, your father is as near to you and accessible to you as this you know, means or this instrument gives you to see him. And later on, we see you, you'll come whenever you shake the globe. I mean, these, these parables are astounding. So that's the moment. And for, for humanity, God created us to be in his image, which means to love, which means to use everything that we are selflessly in the interest of others. And when Scott Calvin finally reaches that moment where he's he's come to to be the new SC, the new, the really Santa Claus, uh, when that, I should say that identity embraces or overcomes Scott, then we're, now we're at a new chapter in the movie where he's, where he's being that person. I hadn't really thought about these. I, this is why I always invite you to come talk about these. I hadn't thought about those parallels. I mean, there were some that I, I thought perhaps, you know, I might've picked up on, but I hadn't thought about, especially the, uh, the, the snow globe aspect of how mm-hmm. God comes, you know, so near to us is so readily accessible, uh, delivered to us in the Lord's Supper, and uh, didn't think about that with the the snow globe. That uh, you know, this connection to his his dad, who is the the Santa Claus, um, through that that snow globe that he could see him and access him at any time through that. I hadn't thought yeah. of that. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, and all the films have this. All films' stories are about redemption, and all stories have some kind of means of grace, and something's going on that's bigger and more powerful than the person who's resisting. And in this case, that uh, Bernard, and it's interesting, you know, Tim can never remember his <laughs> never remember his name, and at one point calls him Barabbas, which yes. is a fantastic <laughs> moment. Um, but, he, you know, like the apostles and the prophets, uh, you know, by by God's calling, even sometimes against their will, sometimes very frustrated, but sometimes very encouraged, you know, um, seeing and foretelling and then explaining the whole work of God in Christ. Yes, he, the uh, Tim Allen's character, uh, Scott Cal- or Santa Claus, yes, never picks up on Bernard's actual name, calls him a whole list of <laughs> names. Start, they all start with B, but he never gets it right. <laughs> Right. Maybe in the end he does. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember if the 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 new uh, the new Santa Claus perhaps gets it right in the end. I don't quite remember. Yeah, I do because actually that's you know when he actually is Santa Claus now, his regenerate soul, if you will. Uh-huh. He starts he starts getting everything right. Like yeah, I got Bernard's name and I got Judy's name and I know what's going on and I'm uh, and and that also is when we he gets into this. Okay, you you guys are working for me, and Charlie's got ideas about how to improve things. But but on 
Santa Claus mind is, what happens if I fall off the roof? Uh, that, yeah, it happened to the other guy. It could happen to me. <laughs> that's right, and that he that he doesn't want that to happen anymore. You know, or initially, he, all, all he wanted was to be out of this contract, and then you know that this is really genuinely his character because that's the only thing on his mind is I don't want to lose this new identity that's been given me, which is also a important part of the life of the Christian that the Word inspires in us first. The Word brings us to realize that God has regenerated us and what that identity is, and then inspires in us this love of love of that identity and so a concern about ever losing it. And even as he he uh, takes on this this new identity as the Santa Claus, he it doesn't mean he's his uh, life is without hiccups there are some certainly along the way that are depicted in the film yeah and and some of that's important to um this ongoing conflict with his ex-wife and uh, the psychiatrist and there are some very seminal moments in those conversations like the psychiatrist talking with charlie about there not being a Santa Claus, and two things about that. One is this business of belief or faith, and Charlie asked him this awesome question, have you ever seen a million dollars? No. Well, then how do you know it exists? And then this turn of phrase, seeing is believing or is believing seeing, um, which is probably something we should talk about a minute. Yeah, the, Charlie brought up a, a I thought a, a very valuable point too. Have you ever seen a million dollars? Yeah. Well, but you you still know. How do you know that it exists? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, which is a which is a parallel, especially in our culture where, you know, evolutionary theory has become accepted as true, even though there's no evidence for it, and certainly no one's ever seen it. Except actually, we see the the contrary. And then this back and forth between seeing and believing, believing and seeing. This is an important um, part of the classes, I, all the classes I teach here, where we talk about um, the, our culture has redefined faith or belief or trust as wishful thinking, as, as preferences that are personal. Like, it's okay for you, like people who believe in Santa Claus, uh, you know, to believe in things that aren't true, but you find them in, encouraging. And uh, that's very much in contrast with the Bible that always connects um, faith or belief or trust with truth. And so faith, belief, and trust all mean the same thing, and they're all about about um, actually coming to consciousness about the way things really are and our dependence on those things. So I'm thinking about uh, Paul in Second Corinthians five. So we walk by faith and not by sight. And and I ask my students to think about this common phrase, blind faith, and how that's not how the Bible addresses faith. That's a that's a human invention. So in fact, according to the Bible, because it's based on divine revelation, faith sees more than what our eyes see. That's the whole point. And so prophecy and promise and uh, divine wisdom conveyed in the scriptures, um, like instrumentation, if you're on a submarine or if you're on an aircraft, um, these these vessels 
are better flown by instrumentation than human sight because our sight is unreliable and it just isn't um, accurate enough. It, it's too limited. Or even medicine, you know, now where we depend on x-rays and then CAT scans and now MRIs. All of those human inventions are, uh, are begging us to see how the Bible gives us the ability to see things we couldn't see otherwise and they're all they all have to do with truth and reality i'd like to 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 dig in a little bit and looking at this comparison as you pointed up the, there's a difference between wishful thinking and faith mm-hmm. and there's a difference between uh, a story like this a parallel of a story like this and the the very performative word of god mm-hmm there, there's a there's a, a big difference between that. Let, let's talk about the difference between wishful thinking and and faith. This this real faith that that God gives. I mean, we as Americans, when we're you see this a lot in in, in social media. Someone's having a, a a difficult day, and so people are offering prayers. They they say prayers to you or uh, sending you lots of positive energy, hoping things turn out well. There's a big difference between wishful thinking and and faith, real faith. Right, and that has to do with, um, you know, the ever since Darwin sort of collapsing our anthropology or our, our ideas about what a human being is into kind of a one-dimensional, material-only universe. And that's a very pessimistic reality, that all, all you are is an accident of material that that lives for a very short time in a very... A difficult world, and so that's where we get to this. Our current culture's preoccupation with self gratification, especially in very superficial levels. So to be as happy as you can, as often as you can, uh, because that's all there is. And so that's our culture's. Actually, that's why it loves movies because it just kind of entertains us and keeps this, keeps these happy thoughts alive, even though there's no reality to them and so the Grinch that's that's fine that's funny and helps us be happy and miracle on 34th Street like nobody I think very few people I should say that watch miracle on 34th Street actually think yeah see there really is a Santa Claus it's just a fun idea to take out for a spin to give us some escape from the from the dooming realities that we do live with is that our life is material and it's and it's short, and it's passing away. And and so we can put that in contrast with, you know what, what they can only dream about and then have to deny in their own worldview, we we keep, and so much more profoundly, that, that the essence of our life is spiritual in nature and is a soul, and, and God provides for a regeneration of that soul and he and and it's based on the incarnation of the son of god who lived and moved and was in this material world and was evidential everything that science asks for jesus provided and it's recorded in history and it's by you know multitudes of witnesses uh, not only the miracles but also his own resurrection from the dead and his crucifixion and and wow, all these doors start opening up. Um, and, and, the, and the starting place you mentioned earlier, you know, conversations with people this time of year. Did you see the Santa Claus? Yeah, well, I, I, did you know that the actually truth and reality is bigger 
than what that movie conveys. Well, that that brings me to the the next question: is how might this movie open uh, up a conversation with someone uh, about the the real matters of faith and the the, the Word of God, the, the things that that we've pointed out that it parallels? Yeah, and that, and I, this is something I practice every single semester in in all my classes, and I do it with when working with youth groups at church too. Is have you seen the movie? Well, yeah, of course we've seen the movie. Um, if they haven't, they'd, they'd love to, and I recommend it. And then so I ask them, okay, if you had your choice, would you rather be the person who Santa visits and fulfills everything on your list, or would you rather be Charlie and work for Santa? And then I kind of go on and encourage them to think about, now, I'm telling you, you can have everything on your list. Make it all put it all on there, the sky's the limit, but you only get to make this list once, or you can be Charlie, which means you actually don't have a list. And it's fascinating to me how how great a percentage of students go for the list, right? Oh my gosh, their mind is so preoccupied with the thought of getting anything and everything they want given to them. And it's usually maybe a student or two that think, wait a minute, if I work for Santa Claus, I get two things that nobody else ever gets. One is I actually live in the midst of all of these things that everybody dreams of having all the time, but they only get once. So, you know, if you live in Toyland or in the North Pole, I mean, that's 365 days a year. I have all of these things that people wish they had. And then, and then of course, the greater part of it, which which parents understand as they become the givers at Christmas is the profound difference, the fundamental difference between being the giver or being the recipient. So in as much as in this very small way, we orient our lives to loving our children and giving them good things like God gives us every good thing in his son and and uh, by his wisdom in the course of our life that's what charlie gets which you know which is that return to the childlike faith again that the that the movie makes possible so being able to talk through the that comparison do you want to be the recipient or do you want to be the giver do you want to not work or or do you want to work but work with a whole new you know kind of context or meaning to it it's been, always been a very powerful prompt to the students' thought. So you you reference films, use film in in your class when teaching New Testament. What are now? Do you get to choose the film, or do students get to uh, choose film uh, for for topic of discussion? Yeah, um, I I open almost every class with uh, some kind of video clip um, from some movie out there. Every class, because there's a movie for every every teaching of Christian doctrine that parallels it, and that kind of prompts the the beginnings of discussion for what we're going to look at in the New Testament that day. Or I use it for, I teach Old Testament too, but, um, and then a lot of times students will come back with, well, what about this movie? Or or here's a, so it gets the, the wheels turning to see the universe and our life is parabolic, and then they start seeing little glimpses of parallels in, in movies or, or, um, 
in music, especially with music videos, that they, and then, and then of course, they're always welcome to bring them up and say, well, what about this thing in this movie? And yeah, we talk about that. And, and uh, so, for example, um, we, I talk about Lord of the Rings and how it took this, this author and filmmakers nine hours to dispense with this, this stupid ring in the volcano. <laughs> and I contrast that with the, the narrative in Revelation 12 about the birth of the Son of God by Mary and his conquering all things and ascending into heaven. And it all happens in one short verse. So look at this. This is how man does things. It takes forever. And this is how God does things. The fight was over before it started because of who's fighting for us, being, of course, God. <laughs> this is a great point. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. If I have anything to do with it, then it's going to be messed up and take even longer. Exactly. It takes forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, any any movie? Well, I was going to say any movies in the final exams, but I don't want to give it away to your students this week. <laughs> no, movie time is over now. This week is reality. It's time <laughs> to put pencil to paper and recall what you've learned. <laughs> now, do you have real paper? Do they actually have to take tests on paper? Um, some, some of them do in some ways, but there's a lot of, uh, Scantron, uh, sure. electronically great stuff. Actually, though, I was looking at my notes. One last thing I think we should, uh, in this movie is th- to recall the reason for the unbelief of Charlie's mother and the stepfather. And both of them hearken back to, uh, to a disappointment in their childhood, which is again, what, what Chris, real Christmas and real Christianity is the remedy for. So you didn't get a weenie whistle when you were three, or you didn't get the dating game when you were however old. But but um, that's something that uh, Dr. Seuss got right in the Grinch, is that, he, of course, he doesn't name it, but the, the light that comes into the world, or the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, is the, is the answer to and the insight through which we move beyond these petty little human appetites into uh, a joy that is insurmountable. Dr. Michael Eschelbach, professor of New Testament, Concordia University, Irvine. Dr. Eschelbach, thanks so much for being my guest today on Faith and Family and uh, looking at the Santa Claus with me. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure. God's blessings on final exams and the new semester coming up very soon. And God bless your Advent and Christmas as well. And God bless yours and your listeners. Thank you. Coming up in just a little bit, Thy Strong Word, right here on the Messenger of Good News Worldwide, KFUO. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.